0: I don't just need to feel better, I need the truth. And ultimately, that will make me better.
1: I just want to make it as totally simple and no-brainer as possible for ladies to see that the Bible is really applicable to their everyday life.
2: When they understand theology, the application
0: flows out of it quickly with joy. It is a journey, but even the journey itself is joyful. When I'm doing it, holding the hand of my Savior and trusting Him all along the way. This is the Joyful Journey podcast, a podcast to inspire and equip women to passionately pursue beautiful biblical truth on their journey as women of God. When you choose truth, you're choosing joy. This week, we have a special episode for our listeners. Gentle and Lowly won many book awards in 2020, including the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, ACBC's Counseling Book of the Year. Recently, my husband Brent talked with the author, Dane Ortlund, on Facebook Live. They discussed why he wrote it and why it's been such a success and many other things. On a personal level, I was challenged, encouraged, and stretched by this book. So for this episode, we invite you to listen to their conversation, and I hope you will be encouraged as well as you revel in the heart of your Savior.
2: I am Pastor Brent Oakwin, and thank you for joining us tonight. I serve as the pastor of seminary and soul care ministries at Faith Church. I also have the privilege of overseeing Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries pre-conference to our primary biblical counseling training conference that occurs each February. Tonight I am live chatting with our pre-conference guest speaker, Dr. Dane Ortland. He's a senior pastor of Naperville Presbyterian Church in Naperville, Illinois. And you'll have the opportunity tonight also if if you want to post some questions or some comments in the comments section there. Um, I will turn to those occasionally throughout our time together tonight and um, maybe pick a few of those questions as we talk to Dane tonight. Uh, Dane lives with his wife Stacy and their five children in Naperville, Illinois. Dane earned his PhD from Wheaton College and uh, before he served as the senior pastor at the Naperville Presbyterian Church there, Dane worked for 10 years in Christian publishing at Crossway in Wheaton. He's the editor for the Knowing the Bible series and the Short Studies in Biblical Theology series as well. He's authored several books, including Edwards on the Christian Life, Alive to the Beauty of God, and also very recently published Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners. Now, tonight, and most notably, we're going to be talking about Gentle and Lowly, the Hearts of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Gentle and Lowly was the Gospel Coalition's Popular Theology Book of the Year. It was the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors Book of the Year. It was one of the top 20 biblical counseling books of 2020 for the Biblical Counseling Coalition. And right now, I checked this out today on Amazon. It was currently number one on Amazon's bestsellers in Christian Counseling. And as I mentioned, Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries will be delighted to have Dane Ortland to be our guest speaker for the 2022 Biblical Counseling Training Conference pre-conference. Now, the main conference, our BCTC, Biblical Counseling Training Conference, occurs February 13th through 19th. And we have both in-person options, like we traditionally have until COVID hit last year, We're returning to the in-person option this year, but also we learned something. There is a niche for online audiences as well, so there's an online option for our biblical counseling training conference as well. But the pre-conference is what we're here for tonight, and the title of that pre-conference is Counseling with the Hearts of Christ, and that's going to occur one day, Saturday, February 12th, and Dane Ortland will be with us in the morning um, on that Saturday, and there will be other faith ministry speakers presenting in the afternoon. And just a note on the front end here: you want to register for the pre-conference. Okay, so get ready. This is going to be an easy address to remember. Our main website: faithlafayette.org. Faithlafayette.org/slash/bctc. Okay, that's for Biblical Counseling Training Conference. So BCTC. PC, pre-conference 2022, fatalafiat.org slash bctcpc2022, and that'll get you to the registration if you desire to register for the conference. Well, again, tonight, um, as you have questions for Pastor Dane, don't uh, hesitate to write a comment in the comment section, and I can't get to all of them, but I'll try to get to some of them occasionally throughout our time together tonight. So let's bring Dane in, and so let's welcome Dane. Pastor Dane Ortland is here with us. So hello, Pastor Dane. It's good to have you here with us today.
1: Brent, it is great to see you. Thanks for letting me have this conversation with you.
2: It's my privilege. Um, I can remember reading Gentle and Lowly last year and being greatly encouraged, and even as I was reading it again for today's interview tonight, um, I was just reminded once again how A gentle and lowly heart is a strength um, that we don't draw upon as much as we should. So as I was meditating on that today um, in preparation, I was even thinking once again, Christ knows the current ministry struggles that I have with either the counseling cases or the load. And I was drawn afreshly once again to him. And and, um, I failed to avail myself of that Um, identity of who Christ is on a regular basis, so I'm thankful for your work. Um, Also, in addition, as I was reviewing for um, your book today in preparation for our time, I saw in chapter one, the very first paragraph, you said this, my dad pointed out to me something that Charles Spurgeon pointed out to him. That's that's quite a history right there uh, Ray Orland and then Charles Spurgeon. Um, that's quite a heritage. But this is what you pointed out. In the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of the biblical text, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. And obviously, that would be Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, which it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and here is a statement. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest in your soul. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, here's my question for us as we start. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey in deciding to write about this topic of Christ's heart?
1: Thank you, Brent. Uh, It is such a joy to reflect on this with you, brother, and with the the folks uh, piping in here. Um, Well, there are a number of different ways I could tackle that question, but one way would be um, I had great classes in seminary on the person of Christ, truly God, truly man, etc. I had great classes in seminary on the work of Christ his atoning work and all that He did to accomplish our salvation—those are glorious, vital, needed, necessary, um, wondrous truths. But I never had a class on the the heart of Christ, yeah. and um, and I
2: teach this, I teach in our seminary right now. And as you're saying this, I'm yeah. thinking that I don't have that kind of class for our seminary right now either. So go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so I just found myself stumbling onto through the direction of
1: a friend of mine, the works of an old Puritan named Thomas Goodwin. And I realized as I read this uh this old Puritan and some of his contemporaries and some others who who came in his wake in the generations after him, I had a two-dimensional view of what Jesus was like. I did. I mean, I had all the degrees. <laughs> sure. But actually in my own functional life as a disciple of Christ in in what I was thinking Christ was like, as I roll out of bed in the morning, um, it was not, it was not who the scripture insists that he is. So I've been wading into uh, who Christ is for messy me, messy, up and down, fickle, faltering, stumbling, weird me uh, for the last eight years, since I discovered the Puritans in about 2013, in the summer of 2013, Goodwin in particular. Uh, and I, Brent, I had to get this out. I had to say, holy <laughs> smokes, who's talking about this? Who is who is telling us what the Lord Jesus' very heart is like? And um and I would I I would just add, brother, this book, Gentle and Lowly, is not me having figured it out, hmm. lobbing this message yes. down to the rest of you who come on, come join me
2: <laughs> in figuring this out. I am
1: myself. Not because
2: that, if that were the case, that would not be gentle and lowly. When, <laughs> no. Again, today I was looking through it. It's when we, um, the elite, the guys who have figured it out, look down upon others. Right. And the gentle and lowly heart, Christ was accessible yeah. as he placed himself lowly there. Um, so I appreciate what you just said there about that. Oh.
1: Yeah, No. No. no one needs this more than me uh especially as a father of five but in every area of my life um i have been on this journey to learn who christ most deeply is and to let that by the grace of god begin a little bit in this fallen earthly existence to emanate out of me um was there something that
2: emulated your reading of thomas goodwin that that um um just um was it random Yes. I mean,
1: I I believe in the providence of God. So uh, from heaven's perspective, it wasn't random. But in my life, I stumbled upon to a website article on Thomas Goodwin with a bunch of quotes from his little black Puritan paperback. The Banner of Truth publishes called The Heart of Christ Who is in Heaven for Sinners Who Are on Earth. And I thought, oh, wow. I didn't know you could be a theologically reformed and conservative, which is where I am. I'm at and talk about Jesus that way. So uh, yeah, Goodwin was the one who really put me down this path.
2: Fantastic. Now, you you mentioned Puritans. So, in your book, Thomas Goodwin is primarily the main guy in his in his book on the heart of Christ. You know, when I first think of Puritans, as mm. I'm not first thinking of them as having their motivation as the gentle and lowly no. Christ. <laughs> um, now that may be because I don't know them very well and. I am not as versed in them as maybe you are, Uh, um, but as I was reviewing it again today, I saw your book filled with Puritan quotes. So here's my question. In your understanding, was Thomas Goodwin typical among the Puritans with this kind of motivation, Mm -hmm. or did he simply recapture a biblical emphasis, maybe like you have brought to us at this day and age? surely it
1: is one of the devil's great victories in the world that we have this awful stereotype of the Puritans as dour, misanthropic, I'm depressed. Back, yep. <laughs> oh, man. They wanted us to get happy in Christ, and they know how to take the Bible in one hand and the human heart in the other and connect the two. So to answer your question, Brent, was Goodwin was Goodwin typical among the Puritans in this emphasis? The answer is yes and no. Okay. Yes, he he is more distinctively pervasively resiliently focused on this theme than any of them i mean i'm I'm in volume nine right now I got it right here It's goodwin on election five hundred and fourteen pages on election and he's talking about the heart of Christ all through this wow <laughs> okay. so it it is distinctive in Goodwin all right, but it is not totally unique and exclusive to goodwin in sibs in um In Owen, especially communion with God, all over in Bunyan, in Volume One of his three volumes works, you find it as well, as well as in some of those who have come in their train, Warfield, Edwards, and others. Uh, But and
2: and I he was reading today Jonathan Edwards in his famous. Yeah, I mean, I know we know Jonathan Edwards for his sermon on sinners in the hands of an angry God, but you were mentioning also in the book um, when he was saying there is no love so great, so wonderful. As that which is the heart of Christ. Yes. So yeah. So yeah, was, Edwards touched on this as well,
1: and he was preaching that to kids, uh, those up through age fourteen
2: in his church. So he really believed it. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Um, how did your journey of getting it out help you in your own personal sanctification and walk with Christ? Wow. Well, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Yeah, it does. In fact,
1: in fact, if we can't answer that, who cares? If it isn't actually doing something in us, and it is purely theoretical and abstract, and no one should listen to us or read our stuff. Um, At the same time, I have to be honest. I'm a toddler in this, Brent. I am just beginning to figure this out. I hope I can.
2: You're a toddler. I'm in. (laughs) Embryo, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, we're going to make some
1: progress before heaven, but that's when we're really going to accelerate in this. All right. But here's here's what I would say, brother. Um, I believe that that the way we Christians treat other people is an X-ray into how we actually believe God treats us. Yeah. So show me a Christian who um who who cannot forgive. Someone who has wronged them until that offender begins to get their act together, that's a Christian who doesn't believe that God will forgive them unless they begin to get their act together. So the point is, um, I, I long for and pray for and earnestly desire that the gentle and lowly heart of Christ would more and more be so taking root in me that it's coming out of me, not turning it on, turning it off. It's who I am. Those who look to him are radiant. Psalm thirty-four says, "I want there to be radiance, luminosity, the way there was with Christ." Um, but I'm 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 on this journey. I want to keep growing. I'm not happy with where I'm at. And the, the, to really answer your question, the, the answer the, the answer is in my home as a dad. Yeah, that, that's where the, that that for me because I'm not wired in a gentle direction. I'm very Type A. In my home, for me. When one of my kids refuses to do what I'm asking them to do, that's when
2: it really is proven. Do I believe what I wrote about or not? Right. You know? Right. Tell me just, um, just real quickly. So you have five children. What are their ages? 15, 11, 9, 7, 5. a four year okay. gap. And then it's every other year Four boys and a girl. The girl is the fourth. All right. Very good. So, um, uh... I'm sure there's a bunch of dynamics where you need to manifest a gentle and lowly heart toward your children as well. I
1: need to grow, I need to grow. All right, well,
2: um, folks that are listening online right now, you're welcome to post a comment or question as well throughout this. I'm not seeing any right at this moment, so I don't know if that's uh, something on my end, Jeremy, our technical host guy. Just let me know somewhere if I'm I'm missing something, but um, you're welcome to post the comments or um, in the comment section or question as well. But on to the next question that I had for you. So, so what is the essential message here? How would you summarize the message of your book?
1: Mm. Jesus is not who you think he is. Really? Uh, at <laughs> least not, not re- nor I, nor I. I. I'm at the top of the list. Yeah. Uh, at least not reflexively. You know, the, the, the fall, one way to put it, Brent, would be that the fall in Genesis 3, hardwired into us, dark, dark thoughts of God and of Christ. Um, But for those, for those in Christ, here's the point of the book, for those in Christ, and that's an important distinction for those. Who are, okay. And eventually
2: I want you to develop why that is important distinction, but go ahead. Yeah. For those
1: in Christ, Jesus himself is, is drawn out to us uh in longing and in love, in in solidarity and in felt sympathy, with a a vehemence of mercy, and an underailable insistence on embracing us deeper than ever at our worst. <laughs> yeah. At our worst. This is in both the Old Testament and the New. In other words, the Christian life, from one angle, from one angle, is the lifelong uh, uh, journey of tearing down the false, decaffeinated, diluted. Uh, view of Christ that we're naturally born with. We can't help it. And letting the Bible erect who God and then the incarnate God, Christ, is really like, um, which confounds our natural intuitions about what he's like. He loves us strongest at our worst if you're in him. That's the point of the book.
2: And, And I think when you say that in the book, and this is what kind of captures my attention. So when we are at our worst, mm-hmm. when we are sinning, yeah, uh, most of us begin to think that that's when he's like frustrated with us, or yeah. he's we he's not wanting to get close to us. Yeah. But that's the precise moment when you're saying, or you're saying that the Bible is saying, that's when he's drawn to us the most. And I think that is what people are surprised by, sometimes surprised, even to the point of, I don't believe that. Yep. That's right. But, um, so, um, can you develop that? So when, yeah. when the yeah. Puritans, in the, in your statement about the Puritans there, a topic that the Puritans love to reflect on on page 69, when we sin, the very heart of Christ is drawn out to us. And you said Puritans love to reflect on that. Yeah, I think that's revolutionary, And but can you help us with that?
1: We have to be very cautious. We want to speak reverently and rightly and accurately and wisely and with doctrinal precision about how we speak of God and of Christ. But according to Scripture, I have been convinced by the Puritans and others that what erupts in the heart of God and of Christ when we sin or suffer not just suffer, but sin or suffer. The Puritans would say sinning is a kind of suffering. Actually, um, uh, God's in the same way that if one of my five kids is acting in utter folly, and it's their own fault, my heart is drawn out to them in a way that it isn't in that moment to my other kids because I, I'm filled with longing—the the longing of love. And to see them come into growth and healing. So Goodwin would say it's the way um, it's the way you you a father would feel about a child who has a terrible disease. Sin is our disease. Uh, That's not to say we're not culpable for it. That's not the point of the metaphor. But sin is our disease, and um, and the way the father looks at a two-year-old daughter, just riddled with some loathsome disease. Loathsome is the word Goodwin uses. What erupts in his heart is not revulsion, <laughs> not for his own child. What erupts in his heart is longing and love and a desire for healing. So that's, that's at a human level how we understand
2: it, I think. And that's where you go back to, um, so gentle and lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers, but this is for his people. Yeah. Correct. So can you can you develop— so? That distinction is incredibly crucial here that we're yes. talking about, and you use the metaphor of our own fatherhood with our children. So yeah. can you help us understand how important that is to this conversation, that distinction for his children? Thank you for mentioning that, Brent. That's a vital
1: distinction, as you say. This is not indiscriminate heartfulness for all people. That's theological liberalism, and that's not what the scripture gives us. Actually, it's something more wonderful than that. <laughs> if God loved everyone with his deepest heart, and Christ did, everyone indiscriminately, the penitent and the impenitent, that would be a God we could not worship, really, because that would be a God who didn't have a sense of justice and righteousness. But for those who have collapsed into the open arms of Jesus Christ, who have who have spoken their sinfulness and have been rinsed clean and have been, here's the key point, they're actually part of Christ's body now. <laughs> they are plugged into him. Uh, Acts 9, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The risen Lord Jesus says, Why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Why are you persecuting my people? Me, he was persecuting Christ's people, the disciples. Uh, Yeah, I get it. They they are because because to touch Christians is to touch Christ, apparently. First Corinthians 12, the body of Christ, same picture. So we are Christ's own, we are united to him. This is the pervasive way the scripture talks about salvation. We're one with Christ for those who are his own, because they have been justified and their record has been wiped clean permanently, in, invincibly, unrepealably, those are those that Christ can, while maintaining his full justice and holiness, move toward them in love and love alone.
2: Fantastic, and just a note, I am seeing the comments now, so Billy Ducardi, he was a graduate of our seminary, so th- thank you, Billy, I see that, and um Thank you for your kind words of what he says. Thank you for providing this interview with Dane Ortland. This allows me to understand the context of the author's purpose in his book. So thank you for that, Dane. I see BJ McKay. Um, yes, the comments are working here. And then Shaney P. She's also a, she's also one of our MABC students as well. So thank you for your comment there. And I see Eric Griffith, you just said something as well. Um, um, so. Let's bring into this conversation for just a moment. Um, when Christ says, I am gentle and lowly of heart, mm-hmm. my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's the crux of where he explains about his heart and his yoke and his burden. Can you develop that for us a little bit in regard to Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30?
1: Uh, if, if If I didn't have yeah. that staring back at me in black and white from the pages of my ESV, I would not believe it. <laughs> the one place—I mean, if we did a Thomas Jefferson of the Bible and snip that out—and I never told my kids, or I had never heard, that in the one place where he says what is deepest, remember, Brent, the heart is our is our motivational headquarters. That's what makes us do what we do. It's not just our affections, not uh, not just our our emotions. I should say, nothing frothy. <laughs> and when Jesus, the Lord Jesus Himself, describes His own heart, <laughs> who would have guessed it? Who could honestly have guessed that that He would not say? I am calculating and exacting in heart, or yes. even that he would not say when he's, on, when he's setting the terms, his own claim, that he wouldn't say, I am um, loving and joyful in heart. Now, that's true. Right. But what he says in the one place where he opens up his heart and lets us peer way down inside is, I am weighed, I'm gentle. That is, I'm tender with you. I don't handle you roughly. Um, and he says, "I'm lowly." In other words, actually, it's the same word elsewhere in the New Testament. Brent translated "humble." What does Christ have to be humble about? The point is, he is—he is—he's the most accessible person in the universe. You don't have to go through security to get to him. Right. You yeah. don't have to take a ticket and get in line. He doesn't put you on hold. He's not a politician. He's lowly. He's way down low. If you're trying to get up high through your moral resume to get to him, then you'll miss him. Yeah. But if you go down low, you actually fall into him. <laughs> Anyone can do that if you just check your pride. Anyone can collapse down and that's where he lives. And at
2: that very moment, when I when I have a glimpse of faith to believe that he's accessible to me and he's tender with me, I want to go to him.
1: Oh, who can it's irresistible.
2: Yeah. Good. Um As you develop the the heart of Christ here, um, how does his holiness and what you're saying about the essence of his heart fit together?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we need to, that's a very urgent and important question, Brent. Only one time in the whole Bible does God say he is blank, blank, blank something, and it's holy. So we got to make sure we're totally right on this. I remember reading R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God, when I was 20, and I, I'm so glad I did. I need it. Okay. We need to be careful we don't envision divine holiness as only um, purity that can't, that can't approach sin. Here's what I mean. Christ is supremely holy. Right. So yes, he, he, is, he is more revolted And repelled by sinfulness than any of us ever will be. That is true. Isn't it also true that because Christ is perfectly holy, he is also more perfectly, compassionately drawn to sin and suffering than any of us could with our partial pathetic holiness? So we need to have a full comprehensive vision of what divine holiness is. Look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What is he doing? He is The Holy One is constantly a magnetic far in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without concluding inescapably that the holiness of Christ draws him toward the healing and um, um, uh, helping of sinfulness and suffering rather than him needing to go way up high in some ivory tower
2: where he can't get anywhere near it. Yeah. And you were in, uh, in your book, you were saying he came to earth and um, I I've heard this before and I've even taught it before, but sometimes I forget it. Um, the um, Christ was touching the lepers awesome. drawn to them in the old Testament holiness code was yeah. the separation of that which was unclean from the clean God. But here is holiness actually walking the earth and, in your words, rehumanizing yeah. people in his heart drawn to them. So that's fascinating and powerful as well. Now, let's combine maybe a couple of questions here that I think probably are related here. Obviously, your book hit a, um, it resonated in some way so what surprised you about your book's reception positively and why do you think that message is needed here in christianity among the people of god at this moment in time
1: uh everything surprised me about the reception of the book because my books don't sell brent (laughs) And here, I can only conclude that, and I don't mean anything sanctimonious here, but I can only conclude that God had a ministry in mind for his people. And uh, along with 10 million things he's doing in the world today, one of them was giving many Christians in 2020, 2021, and beyond um, a fresh, deepened, surprising, calming Awareness of what Jesus is really like. I was, I'm very surprised. What surprised me? Everything. <laughs> um, why is the message you said needed in Christianity at this moment? I don't know if I would say it's needed. It's needed at this moment in a in a fundamentally different way than it's always needed. Uh, yes, the pandemic and COVID has has exacerbated loneliness, addiction need uh you know this as as many others do um at the same time knowing the heart of Christ oh come on this is evergreen who of us ever needs to go through life and uh not know and, and you know not be oxygenated by what Christ's very heart is so um when someone says to me hey Dane I'm so glad that in God's providence he had the book published uh right during the pandemic I I received that I yes amen but I think we need at any time
2: to know what his heart is hardest, most deeply like. And that's the great answer to the to the question. Um,
0: <clears throat> now,
2: I see some comments here. Um, Anthony Malinchak, um, I would read your book, How Do I Get One? Well, um, thanks to the publishers of the book, they made some available to various churches. And Faith Church has um, 200 copies of this. And if you sign up for... Um, in-person pre-conference. And so the first 175 people uh, that sign up for the pre-conference will get a free copy of this. And I got a few extras as well. So, um, and so I'm happy to help you to obtain a copy. Also, we have um, Kayla Dunstan says this, I have not yet made it through the whole book, but I'm loving it and needing it. I know that this book makes some people nervous. They worry that encourages Christians to be lax in righteousness. How do you answer that? So let me add to that as well. Um, mm-hmm. So there has been a, a bit of pushback on the book. And perhaps because the emphasis on the heart of Christ is gentle and lowly might be, well, some people might think it's unbalanced in your book. Now, I understand, Dane, you're not inspired writing you never claimed to be. And none of us, when we are setting out to write or preach, can complete, teach the entire counsel of God at one moment in time. Um, But you actually say something in your book very early on. You say, as we zero in on the heart of Christ, how do we ensure that we are growing in the whole counsel of God in a proportionate vision of who Christ is? And you actually develop that on page 28 and 29, but you land on this it's better to be biblical than artificially unbalanced and you also say it's impossible for the affectionate heart of christ to be over celebrated now uh, i'm going to give you a chance to uh, you know respond to that and just your response to um kayla's question here um let me kind of input my own things my own kind of uh, concepts. Theological emphasis here. I'm here at Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries. I teach a lot on the heart. And one, one um, Puritan that um, I have quoted and read a, a bit of is Thomas Chalmers. And um, the one who says, The expulsive power of a new affection. How do we rid ourselves of the pleasures and treasures of this earth and longing for them? Can we not um, expel them by the replacement of something greater? And ultimately when I see Christ in the way that you have described biblically here, what I'm attracted to is Christ, not anything else. Right. And that would be um, the expulsive power of a new affection from a Puritan as well, when I see the magnitude of Christ's heart for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps me to want to live for him and have him as my chief delight. Yeah. But in regard to Kayla's question, I know that this book made some people nervous. They worry that it encourages Christians to become lax in righteousness. How would you answer that? Or what do you, and what do you mean by it's better to be biblical than artificially unbalanced? Hmm. Well,
1: I want, my, I want my balance to be the balance of Scripture, not the uh, balance of humanly contrived philosophical theologies. And um, Christ called his heart. What does the Bible say is the answer. Christ called his heart gentle and lowly. He did not say, I am come to me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, comma, oh, but also harsh and severe in perfect balance. Um, Actually, in the parable of the 10 minas in Luke 19, you guys remember when they're given five, two, and one mina, it's the guy who has one mina and buries it, who is wrongly judged um, to have had a view of the king of the god figure in the parable as being austere <laughs> that was his bad theology i viewed you as austere and severe um and back in, in matthew-
2: uh, i haven't ever made that connection and i appreciate that because i've taught him that passage before and um that is very helpful so go yeah.
1: ahead i mean, just to stick in matthew 11 brent the immediately preceding paragraph, uh, Christ is walking around right before Matthew 11, 28, 29, which you just uh, quoted. He's walking around pronouncing woes on unrepentant cities. Woe to you, Kors, and Woe to you, Bethsaida, and so on. The same Christ who then the next paragraph says, come to me. I'm gentle to heart. Okay, how do we put this together? The question is, what is his heart? He, is he a Christ of divine judgment and punishment? Yes. In Revelation 6, the impenitent asks that the mountains and cliffs fall on them rather than that they face the wrath of the Lamb. Okay, but what is his heart? (laughs) What is his heart? Uh, His heart, he says, is gentle and lowly. Um, And the Puritans would say that when Christ or God judge retributively, in other words, when they're judging with punishment, God does that in perfect justice and righteousness, but that does not reflect his heart in the same way that uh, mercy does. This is defended both in Old Testament and New by the Puritans. So, Kayla, in your question, when you're saying, you know, this makes people nervous, uh, is it going to encourage Christians to be lax in righteousness? Good question, sister, and let me just put it back to you. Let Let me propose this to you. Let's say That the Lord Jesus is looking at you and he loves you with all his heart. You can't sin your way out of his embrace. The more you squirm, the tighter he hugs. If you were, if you were a, if you or I were, were, were bought from a slave market, out of a, out of a slave market, and the person who bought us, the rich merchant who bought us, said, I just bought you because I love you with all my heart. You're free to go. We would say to him, then I want to go with you. We would not say, I want to go be lax in righteousness and go live and ride his living. We would say, I have been loved so deeply, so profound. I've been freed and liberated. (laughs) Can I come live in your house? And we would want to follow the rules of his house. So the heart of Christ is the one thing Uh, we can crowbar our change into different behavior. But the one thing that's going to melt us and lift us into actual change is the the greatness of his heart for us. It will not cause us to be
2: lax. I appreciate that, Dane. And um, in your book, you quote John Bunyan on page 62. And um, I actually quoted you quoting John Bunyan in one of my sermons um, this summer, I believe it was. And um, so, Kayla, when you... When you think about this, or any of us that are listening, um, John Bunyan is expounding, and I didn't know this either, but Puritans take a verse and they write an entire book on it, and Dane talks about that in this book. But um, he's expounding on John chapter 6 when he, Christ says, come to me and I will in no way cast you out. So we're talking about people who come to him, his children. That is the criteria, you come to him. And um, this is what um, John Bunyan says. But I'm a great sinner, you say, Christ says, I will in no way cast you out. I'm an old sinner, you say, I will in no wise cast you out, but I'm a hard-hearted sinner, you say, I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a black, backsliding sinner, you say, and I will in no wise cast you out. But I've served Satan all of my days, I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, you say. I says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast you out. I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast you out. So Christ made it basically impossible if you come to him. <laughs> That's right. Um, and that's John Bunyan, Puritan, um, Pilgrim's Progress Man, I believe. Incredible. Saying those things. The promise was provided to answer all objections, and I, and the more I grow in the beholding of my Savior, and I see Him for the heart that He has, the more I want to follow Him, not the more I want to be lax. Amen. Amen. Brent, may I just add a footnote to that? Yeah.
1: Uh, thanks for reading that glorious quote. Tara Griffith here, um, rightly and understandably asked, but is that entirely scriptural? And Tara, just just remember what, what the text says there in John 6. Jesus says, Who, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So ju- there it is. He doesn't say whoever comes to me and fill in the blank, does something else, I will never cast out. Simply coming to him. Falling into his open welcoming arms, He will never cast us out. so let's let's have the audacity, Tara, to take that at face value
2: and and believe that from the Lord Jesus. Now, Dana, as you've counseled and um, I don't know about your pastoral practice, how much you do counsel or not here at faith, you know, we have biblical counseling training conference, and all of the pastors here are involved in counseling. We have a Monday training where we train people in counseling and then we're counseling in the afternoon, showing them how to minister the scriptures. But, um, so I don't know about your particular practice in counseling, but um, as you have counseled souls, how have you used the gentle and lowly demeanor of our savior to help folks and um, what types of folks tend to latch to this the most and take it and grow? Wow. Well, you're way out ahead of me on that one, brother. I would
1: like to keep growing in that. But just a couple of thoughts come to mind. One is, um, if Christ is gentle and lowly in heart, if he's the kind of Christ who wept over um, Lazarus dying and the distress of his sisters in John 11, for example, uh, maybe uh, my tears and not my books are the number one tool in my ministry. And I'm always going to keep buying books and reading them. I need books. Oh, man. But actually what my people need, when they're sitting in anguish in my office, where I am right now, what, what they mainly need <laughs> is not me to quote Romans eight twenty eight to them, though I believe it with all my heart. Sure. What they need is what comes a couple chapters later, Romans 12, 15, weep with those who weep. That's what they need. So, the ministry of solidarity of witness, of listening, of co-suffering. That's what sympathize means, and it's what Christ does at the end of uh, Hebrews 4 into Hebrews 5. So um, so that's one thought. Thought number two, oh man, what kinds of, I think you said, what kinds of sinners and sufferers need this the most? Well, um, I don't know if I, I would neatly categorize people in different ways where some need this fundamentally more than others, but uh, I would say uh, if your heart is hard, then you will be deflecting this message. I mean, you, you have to have some fundamental posture of penitence or of soft-heartedness or of openness, call it what you want, in order for, uh, for you to experience Christ's heart. But then if you want it, if you will bow, if you will open yourself up to it, <laughs> Jesus Christ is not picky. He's not uh, he, his his gentle care doesn't come to us sick sinners like we go to a buffet line where we pick what looks good and leave behind a lot of the food items on trays that we don't think we're going to like. He is indiscriminate with the penitent, so at any sinner or sufferer right. who is who will simply be willing to open themselves up. In Jonathan Edwards' sermon "Seeking After Christ," he says, "Sinners come to Christ, and they are very surprised to find." that he actually, all he needs is for sinners to be willing. That's all Christ needs. He'll work with anything. We just need to have a certain frame of heart, a posture of wanting uh,
2: his help. Yeah, and when I was thinking about that question, I was thinking about the, the woman at the well and who yes. was, was receptive. And um, in contrast, though, um, Uh, sinners and sufferers that you have experienced that may at first be skeptical of the gentle and lowly heart of our Savior, but need to see Christ this way. I think you've answered that already, but those who look down upon Jesus and and scowled upon him that he was a friend of sinners, how could he be that? Yeah. And that would be those who look at Christ um, not in the way that we have, you have described biblically here, but those who are not coming to him penitent or repentant or coming to him and um in my mind and that was uh, the pharisees as uh, those unrepentant pharisees that were looking at him and they were taken aback by his heart and his disposition yeah. yeah and i suppose as a result of our conversation today we would say that's probably because they had a very theologically uh, weak view of who father god is as manifested yeah. also in the son
1: yeah and brent um i'm a pharisee that is way way down deep inside of me i am a lifelong recovering pharisee is how i'm going to roll out of bed tomorrow morning so uh that's why god has to flatten us and bring anguish pain and disappointment to bring us down to where we can have an understanding of okay yeah i I need to open my heart up to this. I need this. I I am the number one sinner in the room, no matter what room I'm in. And um,
2: so, yeah, I agree with the way you've put that, brother. All right. Um, Let me ask you this. So what would you like um, our pre-conference registrants to expect when they come and hear you speak? What do you hope for? What are you praying for? Uh, What would they expect? Uh, I will be honest with them.
1: Um, We'll have open Bibles the whole time. Yeah. We won't play around. I don't have any jokes. I go go elsewhere for, for funny. Uh, We will just take the Scripture in one hand and our profoundly dysfunctional hearts in the other and build bridges between the two for our deep joy. Um, and we're going to let the Bible surprise us into... Calm and growth and traction and fresh hope for our lives and for the lives of those we're ministering to and counseling. So pretty straightforward, brother.
2: (laughs) Very good, very good. Um, and no something else you, you said in your book as well. We don't come to a set of doctrines, we don't come to a church. This could be provocative. We don't even come to the gospel, yeah. We come to a person, yeah. Um Hopefully at our pre-conference, we will get a bigger vision of that person as well. Um, let's end on, let me read just um, something here. Let me remind everybody. So I want to kind of bring us to a close here. And Elise, I see your comment as well. Thank you for your comment there. You can't send your way out of his embrace. The more you squirm, the tighter his embrace. I appreciate that. And um um, so as I mentioned, Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries will be delighted to have Dane with us in um, February. And again, the, the Biblical Counseling Training Conference occurs February 13th through 19th. And we'll have a both in-person option as well as an online option as well for these conferences. And the pre-conference Counseling with the Heart of Christ, that's Saturday, February 12th. And, um, If you go to faithlafayette.org slash bctcpc, that just rolls right off the tongue, bctcpc, biblical counseling training conference, pre-conference. So faithlafayette.org slash bctcpc 2022, that'll take you through the registration. And the first 175 people that register in person, in person, get a free copy. You probably already have one if you're even coming to the conference, but you'll get another one to give out so others can be least exposed enamored by the heart of christ for his people and we need to hear that message Um, so today let me finish with this quote here so from page 66 for you for all of you listening have you considered what is true of you if you are in christ in order for you to fall short of loving embrace into the heart of christ both now eternity christ himself if you were to fall short of his embrace, Christ himself would have to be pulled down out of heaven and put back in the grave. His death and, resurre- his death and resurrection make it just for Christ never to cast out his own, no matter how often they fall. But animating this work of Christ is the hearts of Christ. He cannot bear to part with his own, his own people that he shed his blood for, even when they most deserve to be forsaken. And you say, but I, and he says, I will never cast you out. And finally, at the end here, um, on the last page of your book, um, what are we to do with all of this? You say, go to him. All that means is open yourself up to him. Let him love you. So the Christian life boils down to two steps. And this is kind of funny. Go to Jesus. Step one. Step two. Step two. See number one. (laughs) So come to Jesus. In no way will he ever cast you out. He is gentle and lowly in heart. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. All right. Well, Pastor Orton, Orton, thank you for being here with us. And I thank you for attending online. And I hope to see you at the pre-conference. Let's let me pray and then we will call it quits. Okay. Father, God, thank you for your revelation of your son. Father, we know that if we have seen the sun, we have seen you. So we ask through the ministry of the proclamation of your word as done through Pastor Ortland here, through his writings as he reflects in scripture, that our ultimate goal would be to help us to see Christ and who he is in his heart, that we might come to him for he is gentle and lowly, and he will no wise cast us out, and help him in that beautiful picture, that beautiful person that he is, capture our hearts so that we um, long and delight in him alone and nothing else. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Welland, thank you. And may God thank bless you. And I look forward to seeing you on Saturday, February 12th at our pre-conference. Thanks, Brent. Great to talk with you. Thank you for the honor.
0: We're so excited that Dane will be teaching at our pre-conference this February. Whether you can attend in person or online, we encourage you to sign up and join us. This topic is relevant for all of us. We will have a link in our show notes for the book and a link to sign up for the pre-conference or the conference. You'll also see a link there for the Facebook Live interview if you wanted to see that. If you register by December 17th, you get the discounted price of $59 for the entire Saturday pre-conference. My husband and I have the privilege of teaching one of the afternoon breakout sessions, and I hope we'll see you there. As we learn more and more about the astounding heart of our Savior for His people, I pray it moves us to follow Him more closely. This is truly the main reason that our journey is joyful. To keep from missing any future episodes, please sign up for our newsletter on our webpage, joyfuljourneypod.com. From there, you can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify. You can also visit us on our Facebook page or Instagram at Joyful Journey Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can also email us at joyfuljourneyquestions at outlook.com. Joyful Journey Podcast is a ministry of Faith Bible Seminary. All proceeds go to offset costs of this podcast and toward scholarships for women to receive their MABC through Faith Bible Seminary.